Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey there, Colson Lechner interrupting again, providing just a quick preface for this episode. I just wanted to let you know that the following content, while it's not derogatory or inappropriate, it is intended for adult listeners concerning the topic of sex and sexuality in the Bible. Now, obviously, use your own discretion, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and here we go. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. Guys, welcome back. Always good Thank to be you. here. <clears throat> and we are continuing our conversation about the quote-unquote clobber verses versus that. Um, I don't know. How would you describe it other than clobber verses? What are other ways that, that you would put into words? These are, these are passages that condemn homosexuality as behavioral, like as a behavioral sin. They call homosexual behavior sin. That's what these passages seem to do. Um, and I keep using the word seem because one, we're discussing them and looking at them, and part of what we're doing in this podcast, these podcasts, is seeing if they actually do. Do they say that? And again, we talked last time that they do, or if they do, um, like when we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, and if that was all the argument that was that existed, if the only place that referenced homosexual behavior was Sodom, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, then I doubt if we would think of just homosexual behavior as sin, if that was all there was, because that's that's not clearly condemning just consent, even consensual homosexual behavior as sin. So we've got to look at what do the other passages say? What do they actually teach Hebrew Scripture, Christian New Testament, and what do they actually say about these topics? And 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 the problem is, they feel if you're someone who is doesn't want that to be the case, or doesn't want the Bible to say that, or is uncomfortable with the Bible saying that then when someone points it out, of course, it feels like you're kind of being clobbered with those when someone says, no, what you're doing is sin. And from that perspective, any of us who do that to, to any other believer, if someone comes to me and says, hey, you're you're committing adultery and that's sin. And so, I mean, I guess in one sense, you could call that a clobber passage when it comes to adultery. I think before we're done today, hopefully we'll discuss why these because I think a lot of times in Christianity, these were not presented as, hey, here's what the Bible says about right living. It's that they were used more like a club. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think that's how they got the nickname they did, is because one, it may be the, like you said, the receptive, I feel judged or I feel hated, whether that's what's happening or not. But I think very often these passages were connected with inappropriate judgment, like hatred, mis- mistreatment, and abuse. And so, of course, they begin to feel that way. I think, like, I mean, maybe <clears throat> um, you're probably, I'm sensitive to it because as a therapist, I hear about this a lot, but, you know, like uh, Ephesians five twenty one, wives, 21 or 22, wives submit to your husbands as the Lord. Mm-hmm. As a woman, it seems like that could feel like a clobber right. passage. Right. I, I mean, have you ever... Oh, yeah, especially if it's, if you 
have if it has been misused, which it has, and if it if you haven't unpacked it to actually understand the meaning and you've just read it at face value or or heard people teach it in a way that that wasn't biblical, then yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like it would be. Or if a husband is using it to have his way. Right. Yeah. Because it doesn't say husbands make your wife submit. It's a command to the wives. It's up to her. But men have used it, obviously. And so I think where we're living, we're, we're trying to stay in the tension between hmm. what you just described, Chris, of no, clearly the Bible does say this and you might be taking it really personal. I said that quote, I think before that truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you, if you don't want anything, you know, that you're doing to be counted as wrong, then you're not going to like anything that, you know, you might find in any of these passages. I but don't. On the, yeah. I sure on don't. The, yeah. Yeah. And the same, the same side of that is we're trying to say, okay, yes, the Bible does say that, but it's not our job to just say it and then disengage or just condemn someone. I think of this is, I don't even probably Brenner Colson. You you guys ever even heard of Fred Phelps? Uh, I don't think is so. Is he related to Chris, Michael remember Phelps? Remember in the nineties, <laughs> Reverend Fred Phelps, he would pick it like anything. Like he would pick oh. his funerals. He would pick it. Parades. Oh yeah. Westboro. Was, He's from Westboro. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. He would, they would just hold up signs that said like, God, God hates, hates fags. fags. Yeah. Oh my and then there would be, and then there would be, oh, a and, there'd be and there'd be kids. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. totally. And they would, so the they point would is, at funeral, yeah. like at soldiers' funerals, right. that the yes. soldier deserved to die and go to hell because they oh were a soldier. My well, there was all this talk I'm, because then they had like yes. biker gangs and stuff with line, you know, like yes. it, I love to those protect, guys to protect yeah. soldiers from these alleged. And I can't even right. say Christians, Christians. but yeah, these. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's hate is a strong word. Like I, I know we're not supposed to really use that word, but I, I really kind of hate these guys. I mean, I, I, I know yeah. that's hard, probably. I'd, I want them to get right with God, but man, they they, they have the ugliest face yeah. that you could put on Jesus oh, yeah. possible almost. Yeah. So wait, what were Is you, what what were you saying, saying about what were you saying about no, him? So that's an that's an example there of okay, yeah, you're you're using the exact same passage we just read last week in Romans one or whatever, but how you're doing it is so unloving and so mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's like, I don't even want to engage. It's like every college campus I feel like has some <laughs> yes. preacher that they feel called to like stand on the, the the walkway and condemn everybody. Just yell at, if you're in a fraternity, you're a drunkard. If you're in a sorority, you're a poor. And they never <laughs> wanted to engage. Like that's what they would yell. And they never right. wanted to engage personally. They never really cared. And, and, and that's where clobber passages would come from. There's plenty of hellfire and brimstone preachers i'm sure who have quoted all these verses um to prove their point and to foster hatred but i think even in the one if we get to first Corinthians six today is a good example of we skip over all the other mm-hmm. sins that are mentioned there and just point out <laughs> yes you know homosexuality that we want to mention yeah yeah but, um, do we want to go ahead and jump into i think we probably ought to few passages because we i mean we talked last week about now there isn't, I mean, the gospel is all of us bring sin mm-hmm. to the table, all of us, each of us, and only the sacrifice of Christ, as we talked about on Sunday, only the mercy seat of his tomb is our is our hope. It isn't that some of us don't have certain sins or that some of us are tempted differently or that it or that someone else has a special sin. I mean, I can I could 
that somehow that's that's what does it. No, all of us have have earned condemnation. All of us will face judgment, <clears throat> and so it's just. I think it's just important that we. And and I know part of it is I'm imagining m- you know my friends and others out there who are are wrestling through this issue, either in frustration and anger at the church and at Christians, or in confusion, or or even even if they have a very strong biblical perspective, and yet are still it's still a wrestling match, just like all of our sins are. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I feel I feel the urgency to say again, as we said over and over again, this is. This is us unpacking what the scripture teaches about these. And just like Chris said, we're not going to skip. That's that's we've already gone through some of the ones that are in that list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we've already gone over them, but this is also one of them, and we're not allowed to ignore what scripture teaches. So yeah, mm-hmm. take it away. I was reading a book the other day um, where it was describing the gospel in a different way. And what the way they put it was so good. He said, the only the only ticket that gets you in is a list of all the reasons why you should be kicked out. Hmm. And I'm like, that's so good. Like, that's exactly what it is. Like the only people that are, um, you know, qualified are just broken people. And that's you, you, and then if you don't see yourself as a broken person, then it's kind of like Jesus telling the Pharisees like, Oh, well, I'm only here for sick people. Right. Apparently you don't need it. But when people say things like, well, but, you're telling me that I have to change to become a Christian. It's like, but that's what it is. Like all of us have to change. Like you mm-hmm. can't stay the way you are. Like God's in the business of changing us. So everyone is expected to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Becoming a Christian is a fundamental change. That yep. A foundational identity level change that then of course, naturally overflows into the rest of our behaviors in our life. You don't have to make these changes in order to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um. But but those are the changes that we strive for in our lives because we are Christians, um, oh. and we acknowledge how bad we are at it as well sometimes. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so we're in to first, the passage, First Corinthians six. First Corinthians six. Chris, you want to take this to start or or uh, sure. no? So in context, I always like to remind people the Corinthians were pretty immature. Um had some issues going on in their church with regard to a whole lot of things, whether it's, you know, unruly worship services or food sacrifices, the idols or whatever. But the chapter before was where Paul just got done reprimanding them for being so tolerant of clearly immoral behavior. So um, that's just been said. And then he talks about lawsuits among believers, which is shameful. It's like, you guys are taking each other to court, all this stuff. Um, But then Verse nine is where he jumps back into this list of um, sinful behaviors. And then he's going to end up landing on sexual morality specifically. And then he'll get into marriage next. But starting in verse nine, it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love the next verse because it doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Good reminder. 
So which which of the sexual sins, like what stands out sexual sins in that section? Well, there's three. Mm-hmm. Sexually immoral, adultery. Like, or is there... Right? I and mean, then, sexually immoral is kind of an umbrella. Right. So really the more pronoun. than three, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I see those three mentioned there then. Yep. So you don't unpack there the Greek? Yes. Yeah, so some people have argued that homosexuality, the word homosexual or homosexuality isn't uh, in the Bible. And that's true in the sense that the actual meaning when you have, have a translation, you have our English word that we're using to best represent the Greek word. So Paul actually, because some people try to argue that this is only talking about um, non-consensual homosexual behavior, like between a master and a slave or something like that. And so Paul actually combines two words here um, to make the one word that he uses, arsenoquitus. I think I said that right. We were talking about that mm-hmm. earlier, right? Sounds pretty close. Um, pretty close. Um, but in he did that in particular to cover both the passive and the active part in a consensual homosexual act. So he, he's, he's even making it crystal clear. I'm not just talking about men taking advantage of other men. I'm talking about in a consensual relationship. Um, and it's, so it's describing lying with the man as one lies with another man, the same way it was back in Leviticus. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that in the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's actually the word that is used for Leviticus, Leviticus 18. It is. I need a fact. It is. It is. That's okay, correct. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. This it's an, it's an intriguing word. The idea here seems to be man liar. Uh, as in someone who lies with and engages sexually with, beds with is the literal, someone who, a man who beds with men. Um, and that is, the, the it, is, it is very clear that the language is, this is something that is forbidden. Um, and that's the same language that's used with a man lying with a woman, a man bedding with a woman. Uh, I mean, coitus... <laughs> is the word we use is actually the official word for sex It's the medical word for sex. So, yeah. um, cause it's the Greek word there. Um, it literally Paul means like uses that exact same. Yeah. He uses the exact <laughs> same word in first Timothy, uh, one ten. by the way. Right. It's, it's going to show up again, but so it's not just that one time. So okay. the most of the argument that people make regarding this, that he's not talking about it is going back to either, it not being non-consensual um, or the fact that homosexuality is not the exact word in the translation. Those are most of the arguments that are made. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, um, it's, it's not used by the way. Some people think that, that Paul almost created these words. They're, it's not a commonly used combination of words and he's trying to make it, something is crystal clear. One of the books that I had responded to said that this, this phrase would have been baffling to his audience. Um, and that's not accurate. It, mm. this, this, it would be as if I said, what is forbidden here is for two men to sleep with each other. 
and you'd go, I've never heard that phrase put together. We usually say homosexual, don't we? And so if I'm clarifying, it's what's wild is it even seems to clarify the behavior hmm. as, as even independent from just even the desire. No, no, this isn't just someone who, who is lusting, although that's forbidden as well, obviously, too. This isn't just someone who's tempted. This is someone who engages in bedding a man. Or, as Chris said, being the, the other language is being bedded by a man. So both participants are listed in these, in these mm-hmm. past. A lot of times when we see the word effeminate, um, especially like the NIV, that is the receptive person of the homosexual encounter. Is, is actually, effeminate is probably not a great translation. Yeah. It means someone who is taking the role of a female, specifically potentially in a sex act. Um, a male who is taking the role of the female in the sex act. Now, it could be more generally meaning who, who acts like a female in general, but this seems to be pretty specific. Um, it's, it, if anything, these two passages kind of, um, in my opinion, are would the ones that would be just a, almost impossible to explain away. Mm-hmm. And if someone says, well, <clears throat> but this is contextual, it's, it's for a certain population, it's for a certain era, which I think, I mean, <laughs> always a valid thing to ask about and to talk about in right. Paul's writings. We don't, we don't always take everything Paul says as a direct instruction to us. The problem is it's in a list, and, and you don't get to pick and choose things in lists to cancel certain items out of this list, you would need to cancel. Essentially, you have to treat every item in the list the same. Um, and that's, that's deeply problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're saying, so we need to remove, so any reference to sexual immorality is going to have to be removed as sin. Again, obviously, some people would probably love to reduce, to, to, in fact, that's kind of what people do, is that sometimes they will remove everything out of this list. You know, God's oppressive nature or the Bible's oppressive nature, and they that, that's what they're escaping. But the all, only point we're making right now is it does seem pretty clear that the Bible is saying this behavior is not okay. And it would be the same for 1 Timothy 1.9. Like yes. that's also in a list um, <coughs> yep. in a similar yes. way. And I think this is related to, Chris, what you said before about people saying, why are you Christians making such a big deal over this? It would be like if you picked anything else and like if there's a bunch of drunk alcoholics parading saying, we demand that you accept this as an okay behavior. Right. We'd be like, well, no, no. Like, why do you hate us? And we're like, we, we don't hate you. Like, we're just telling you that it's clear in scripture, like getting drunk is bad and wrong and being a drunkard. Like we're not, we're not picking, we're not picking you out of a group of people. It's just, it's one of those things, but in this instance, and in so much in our culture today, it's of that list. There is a group of people of those sins mentioned that are demanding that we change our mind about it. Right. And that's why we're going, no, we're, we're standing by what it said for, you know, thousands of well, years. Wait, why are you always talking about this? Right. Exactly. That's <laughs> right. the, that's kind of the trap you fall, you find yourself falling into. Um, and when we look at this list, by the way, I do think this is also important is, um, some people have used lists like this to say, if you've ever committed one of these sins, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Or if as a believer, you commit one of these sins, you can't inherit the kingdom of mm-hmm. heaven. And that's a misunderstanding of the whole overarching message that Paul is giving in both of these books mm-hmm. and all through is 
I think more if this is the identity that you've embraced, if this is the behavior that you've chosen instead of following Christ, and anybody could fall into any of these sins, even as a believer. So I, I think I think that's good. We are washed, and like Chris was reading in verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6, some of you, as were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, meaning made holy, so made clean, made holy, and then justified, made right, made clean, made holy, made right, um, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and Spirit of our God. Well, certainly the Apostle Paul is then not going to imply, you'll never commit any of these acts again. Um, this is the same man who, throughout Romans and in 1 Corinthians, but Romans 6 and 7 in particular, talks about how we he continues to do things he doesn't want to do. He continues to fall into temptation and sin. So that's not the that's not what's being said either. But I think that's what confe- all confession means is agreement. So when I confess my sexual morality to God, I am, a, I am agreeing with him, this is sin. I want it out of my life. Please help me, you know, pay this price for me and help me find victory in this sin. It isn't implying I don't ever do any of these. Christians don't ever do any of these. And that's a, that is a misrepresentation of the gospel to say that, that these things, we become somehow perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like we've said before, there's a differentiation in scripture between like attraction and, and action, whether it's like physical or mental right. engagement, but there's even a difference between like, Hey, this is my tendency or my, my bent or whatever, right. my sin bent and <laughs> an action that I've, I've chosen and followed through with either mentally or physically, but. Right. Yep. So why do you think it says, do not be deceived? Let's talk about that just for a second. Hmm. Cause I think it's helpful when people talk about, well, can you be a gay Christian? We've, we've discussed that. Mm-hmm. Do you mean I struggle with this? I, that's my, my temptation or my attraction, or I'm, this is who I am. I'm practicing this and you have to accept my behavior and the fact that I'm saying I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah. When he says, don't be deceived. Well, I think, I think we see, it, it is intriguing. That same language is used by Jesus um, in his prophetic language over and over again, like in Matthew 24, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Because I think, I think it's a common thing for Christians, especially to face is because we're facing the pressure of a philosophy that's in opposition to Christ's philosophy, the the worldly philosophy, the worldly mindset of the, you know, the whatever worldview. And, and it's natural for us to be get fooled into that, to start believing what we're hearing over and over again and start buying it. And I think the apostle Paul is already warning his, the, the, the Christians of that time, the disciples of that time and saying, don't, don't be deceived which means you could be deceived into believing that these don't matter, that these aren't sin, that these mm-hmm. aren't offensive, yeah. that these, um, especially when you're talking about Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's writing to Greek pay, people who were last week were Greek pagans. And so wow. it's how easy it is for them to say, oh yeah, this is justifiable. This is acceptable. This is, no, our justification. I love that even that word is used, even though I'm using it psychologically as well, that we are, literally justified in the name of Christ, not psychologically justified in our own mind. Right. I and think, so, I think the, the whole, uh, wise in your own eyes yeah. is where I, where I go yep. as well. It falls hand in hand. 
And don't you think that it's interesting that he mentions it? I mean, he mentions it in a list, but he mentions it specifically right before all of the things that pertain to sexuality. Mm. And so it seems like it is, I mean, I feel like the argument can be made that it's, it is really, it is really common for us to deceive ourselves about any thing related to sexuality because of how strong a hold it can have on us or how strong the desire can be, or it's just, it's easy for us to be deceived or let ourselves be, believe a lie so that we can have what we want. Yeah. Um, when it comes to sexual sin specifically. Yep. Another good point. We can deceive ourselves pretty easily. Yeah. Chris, what were you thinking? No, I think that's why, because that is a common thing today. I was talking to a a person this summer who was talking about um, her brother and she was just saying he, that he's a practicing homosexual. And she said, and he loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's just so hard to go. No, he doesn't. Cause you don't want to do that. <laughs> right. right. But it's a matter of, I, I don't know his level of love or his heart or things like that, but I think it is important if someone is saying they're committed to Jesus, but they're sleeping with their girlfriend or they're having an affair and they're like, but I still love Jesus. I think there's, I think it's okay to, to bring up the issue of what do you think it means to love Jesus? Yeah. And, and, you know, cause people will say things like you had mentioned before, um, Earlier when we were talking, can't we just agree to disagree? Yeah. And I liked your response, which was? Oh, mine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is a situation of agreement, disagreement. It's just that it just means we're disagreeing with God. Right. So it's like, yeah, this is an issue of agree and disagree. I just disagree with God that this is sin, and he says it is. So. Yeah. You, you, it's it's not a it's it's not always a good, no it is always not a good idea to be in disagreement with God and then to 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 take that stance to make that argument you know that's not wise right and 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 I think that is part of you know as messed up people like I I love Jesus and I give in to sexual immorality at times here's my here's the other one I think is intriguing is when we wrestle with someone who just doesn't agree like they authentically try to understand scripture and their conclusion is different. <coughs> Sorry. And I, I don't, I don't fully get that. I don't, you know, I've, I have tried to understand scripture in terms of that. It does not call out the sin of homosexual behavior. I don't know. It's hard to judge. I can't judge somebody else's motives. Um, but it's, 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 it is, I don't. I think you referenced. Was it Tim Keller who said, "If if your God always disagree, if your God always agrees with you, yeah, that you, you might know, just have a deified version of yourself." Yeah, and that's yeah. it. It is, you know, there is something to that. In that, I actually would say, when it comes to homosexual behavior, God doesn't. God does not agree with me. Um, I don't. I don't have that same personal stance that God seems to, but He does, and so it's not necessary for me to agree with God. When it comes to my own sexual, my own personal sexual temptations, God doesn't agree with me, um, and so I still have to sacrifice those. And when I mess up, I have to. Um, it, it certainly means in that moment I'm not loving Jesus sufficiently um, when I give into that sin. Fortunately, He holds on to me even when I, He's faithful, even when I'm faithless. But um, 
it, I think it is always fair for us to challenge each other in places that we, if we claim to be Christians, uh, man, let's see if you can find it real quick. But that's actually the one population we're told we should be challenging is people who claim the name of Christ, but who are living in a way that we think is t- the scripture teaches us sin. That's the well, one the population. Chapter before, that was where Paul said that before. He said, I'm not telling you to not associate with people. There it is. You're right. It's right sex there. Sex or immoral. He, he goes, because in that case, you'd have to leave the world. Like, you, you literally can't. But what he's talking about is people who are bearing the name of brother, saying they're a Christian, and they're blatantly living in sin. There, That's where you have a problem where there's, a, again, as we've said, there's a difference between this is my struggle this is my temptation versus this is what I'm doing and I'm okay with it. And you should be too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I so, think one thing that leg you've said before, that's helpful of a helpful question to ask ourselves to see if we're being deceived is if, if scripture is agreeing with what I want to think and what I like in this yeah. stance, you have to ask yourself, okay, if scripture disagreed with me, would I still follow it? Yeah, exactly. And that's right. on any issue of like, yes. okay, yeah, I, I kind of like what scripture says, but if if it didn't if I didn't, would I still be willing to follow Jesus? And sometimes that's a good Yes. A good question to ask of of yeah, am I just worshiping a deified version of myself? Am am I trying to twist scripture because it's more comfortable? Um and that's not always the litmus test, but I think it's a good question to ask. It's certainly I think people good. Well, people will say, I, but I don't feel convicted about an issue. Mm-hmm. And even that is dangerous because what it's saying is unless I feel convicted, like I'm letting my feelings be the governor of right. how I live my life. Like, mm-hmm. do I, do I agree with it or feel bad or not? And it's like that. It doesn't matter what you feel about. Right. Something. It's mm-hmm. what does it say? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Important truth there. So what are some of the other cases that people make when they're, mm-hmm. when they're, when they're deconstructing over these sexual issues, when they're uncomfortable with it. Um, and this is what, mo- what inspires that. What are some other cases that are made? Cause it's not always scriptural. Yeah. I think people would say it's like a, on a biblical basis, but not from an actual passage. Um, and I think we've talked about a lot of these before, just in passing okay. as we've talked about scripture. But I think one of them that people bring up a lot is that Christians have been on the wrong side of history before uh-huh. um, and equate it to something like slavery um, where it's like, well, we've, we've had a stance before that we've gone back on right. and realized we were wrong. Um, that's one of them. Yeah. Yep. It's, and there's no way around that. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Being wrong on something that's it's, um, it, that is a human tendency, by the way. It's a psychological tendency for us, obviously, to when people seem to be crying wolf, they make the same case. the The problem is, as as thinkers, as reasoners, we know that's that's a form of the genetic fallacy. Is when we say because this this information is coming from somebody who was not right last time, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not right this time, and we we still have to discuss it on its own merits. What does the argument actually say? What does the Bible actually say? What does the case actually say? Just, I mean, there are a lot of people in Florida who just learned that <clears throat> when they, well, the last four times that they've told us to evacuate, it turned out not to be a big deal. Mm. And then it turned out to be a big deal. And I didn't evacuate because, well, the last four times, we have to be real. You have to always be very, very careful about huh. 
that mindset. And yes, when I go back through the list, which I did one day when we talked about all the different steps of the sexual revolution, uh, out of like 10 to 20 steps, I would say, are there, there's three or four of them that I would say, yeah, we Christians took the wrong side on that. And we were just wrong about that. Now there's still Christians alive today who would disagree with me, like say on, on birth control. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I think Christian, the initial response of many Christians was ended up being the wrong response when it came to birth control. Yeah. Um, it's, I understand why I see where it came from. I can see the misunderstandings or whatever. And I even understand the argument, but in the end, I think, no, this was the wrong anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean again, you could be wrong about 19 things in a row and that doesn't mean you're wrong on the 20th one. Yeah. I understand why they were treated dubiously. Oh, you guys aren't always right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. And then the other part of it is like, okay, the, the way that, yeah, some people (laughs) treated and still treat people who, yeah, homosexual people. And it's like, okay, well that, that mistreatment is, is wrong. It's mistreatment. Mm -hmm. But that is not what we're saying. The Bible, right? That's not the same argument, right? There's, yes. I think I read it. Um, I read a quote that said, "There's a difference between a posture problem and a theology problem." Yeah. Mm. So you have to differentiate between those two because they're not the same. But yeah. Um, well, the problem with the wrong side of history is you could say that about any issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are trying to make pedophilia okay. Well, you guys have been on the wrong side of history before, right? Like you could you could say that about any particular anyone from that list of First Corinthians, yeah. You know you could say, well, how do you know you're right this time? Yeah. And so that's why again, I think what you just said, Chris, is so true that a careful, honest studying of the passage means this is where you're going to land. I think with those other issues, you can look back and go like the slavery piece, like mm, mm-hmm. let me show you where you got off track, and this is this is where they were abusing this verse, or this is what this isn't what it meant. This is a great example where it's like it's really clear. And I think you just don't like the conclusion, but um, yeah. 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 I think two of the other arguments that I hear probably the most is, um, and I, I think we've addressed both of them, but just briefly, I was born this way. And then aren't we just called to love are two really common ones. And like we've talked about, I was, I was, I was just born this way. It's like, yeah, we were, I mean, yes, that's right. I think the (laughs) argument is made a lot more complicated than, um, than it has to be because the, the world would say I was born this way and therefore it is true to who I am and it's right. Uh Or, and even could make the argument of it's wrong for me not to act in this way. And then Mm. the Christian ethic on all fronts said, yes, I was born this way. I was born in sin and brokenness and that affects all of me. And so that argument doesn't leave when we just talk about a aspect of sexuality. Yes. Yeah. That's a, I, I remember when I, so I'm old enough to remember when this was a, when this, when the argument, the question of homosexuality became the front line of the sexual revolution. Huh. And it was super common to have people on the progressive side of the argument say, uh, God wouldn't, or people on the, excuse me, people on the Christian side say, well, God wouldn't make someone gay. Yeah. And, and then the, the people on the homosexual side, the progressive side of the argument saying, no, God, I made this way. I was born this way. I was, God made me this way or whatever the argument was. And James Dobson was the first person who, cause he was trained as a psychologist and as a, you know, a PhD, not as a theologian, not as a, and when someone asked him that in a, in a discussion situation, he said, well, of course, 
I mean, it's not the one magical sin Christ- humans can't be born with. I mean, it, yeah. it's a fundamental belief of Christianity that we are born broken. And so why would this be the one sin, the one brokenness you can't be born with? Of course you could be born with that. He's like, I don't understand, because that should be arguing towards the Christian side of things like, yeah, I'll bet you were. And here's all the ways I was born broken. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we can hopefully we can figure out how to how to find Christ to save us from our born brokenness, our conceived brokenness. I mean, yep. so anyway, yeah, I, I agree. I think there is, and I think there could easily be a genetic predisposition. And I don't think that has, it. genetic predispositions have no bearing on moral behavior. Mm-hmm. We know there are genetic predispositions towards all kinds of things that we would say that everyone would agree is moral or immoral, or nearly everybody would. And it just doesn't have any bearing. It doesn't set people free to behave the way they want if they were born a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just say I have an ang- I have anger issues. Therefore, it's okay for me to hit my wife or my right. kids. I really like Sam Albury's, the, the way he says it in his book is God anti-gay. And this is him speaking from a man with same-sex attraction that, that he battles with. <clears throat> he says, desires for things God has forbidden are a reflection of how sin has distorted me not not how God has made me. Mm. So it's just it's just that fundamental thing. And I and this is where us living in that tension should just wake us up to go. I, I we are all just like you said, all saved by grace, and we are all broken. And so I should never have. <laughs> this should free us from having any condescending attitude toward any sin. Right. To think like, um, I would to say things like I would never or. Um, I'm more deserving of salvation because I haven't done that sin or have, and it's just, I don't think you understand again, your brokenness or the holiness of God. Like it's, it's like Isaiah pronouncing all these woes on these different cities, the first few chapters before Isaiah six. And then he sees the Lord and his response is, woe is me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm undone. I'm a dead man. And just like, that's the reality of you can always make yourself feel or look better by looking horizontally and then you see god in his holiness um you just realize you know how awesome amazing grace is that we're just all i just can't believe we're all here Mm -hmm. what uh this book again that i referred to earlier was saying it's a parenting book and it was talking about your own brokenness doesn't um, mean you're not qualified to to teach the gospel to your kids it means you're not qualified to teach moralism to your kids that you've got to be perfect. Like, of course I shouldn't be teaching that you've got to be perfect. And then, yeah, it's just a reminder, like, man, I'm just a sinner raising sinners. (laughs) And, um, I need, I need all the help that I can get. Mm -hmm. Love it. And then just briefly, the argument, are we called, aren't we called to love? I think rightly prioritizes love, but wrongly defines it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that is, is a really hard piece when it comes to co- having conversations with um, people who don't fully understand that because the the rhetoric and culture is so strong of of what love means and mm-hmm. that love is affirmation and um, and I've even had conversations with you know students and friends and pointed out like. When it comes to friendship or even my marriage, like 
I, we never define love as someone who will never challenge what we say. Like that's, right. ne that's never been a proponent right. of a healthy relationship in any other way. Um, <laughs> you know, if I have friends who only tell me what I want to hear and never push back, then mm. that's that in my mind, they're not actually loving me well and being good friends. But anyway, so I yep. think, I think we have to unpack a lot of what, what do we mean by love? Yes. Um, when better is the slap of an enemy than a, the kiss of a friend. I'm a kiss of a, sorry, the slap of a friend than the kiss of an enemy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I said that backwards. But yeah, we, by almost by definition, to love someone well will mean speaking the truth to them. But I think culturally we're moving away from that. I think yeah, we have right. to remind people of that definition just in general and even the logic behind it of like, wait, do you, is that actually what you mean that you want, you know? Yeah. Um, and then redefine what, biblical love actually is well that's what strikes me Lewis, you well, no, we i think we talked about this with when we talked about the problem of pain in his book the problem of pain isn't it called the problem of pain by yep. c.s lewis mm -hmm. he talks about this issue in a different way but like um you wanted this loving god well here's what you've got you've got a god who loves you so much that he's not going to let you destroy yourself or do things that are leading in the wrong direction and so that's what you signed up for not this, you know, kind, benevolent grandfather in the sky who just wants everybody to have a good time. Right. Like you, you wanted love. This is what you're going to get. And that's the same thing with this is we're loving people. If you're about to drink poison um, and it might ruin your afternoon for, to hear me say no, or to knock it out of your hand or whatever, I would, I would not be loving if I knew what you're doing is wrong. And I don't tell you no again, this whole issue dealing with your attitude and how you say right. it is a big deal. But of course. I just think that the idea that we would never, ever tell anyone they're wrong. I mean, both sides of any issue, you know, believe the other side's wrong anyway. So you, you think that they're <laughs> wrong, what that means. but yeah, I just think that it's a misunderstanding, like Bryn said, of, of what it means to love. Well, and this is the other one that, and I'm not, I'm not being naive here. I think there is a difference between love and sex. Mm -hmm. And so very often when people say, well, I should be able to love whoever I want. It turns out that doesn't mean I should, because I think, I think I know that it would sound like we were being intentionally obtuse for a Christian to say, well, of course you can. I mean, you, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're mm -hmm. supposed to love everybody. I'm supposed to love my family. I'm supposed to love everybody. So no, in no way does the Christian ethic tell you, you can't love everybody. You certainly mm -hmm. can. And they say, and so if the response would be, so I'm allowed, I can have sex with them say, Oh, wait, I thought, I thought, <clears throat> I thought you were talking primarily about love, but what you meant was there should be no, no limitations on my behaviors with them, mm -hmm. not my attitude toward them. And, and yeah, so I would say, I think sometimes that's a little confusing too, is that yeah. Jesus's ethic was, was not merely Love, love being love doesn't, that's a, it's a little bit of a silly statement cognitively to say love is love, or I should be able to love anyone the way I want, because obviously we don't, we don't mean that, mm -hmm. um, because no, I don't know that any population argues truly fully that, um, but yeah, so I think, I think that's another part of the conversation. And again, I'm not, I don't mean to be obtuse and I know no one's trying to make that necessarily make that argument so to speak. But, but I think that's a yeah. good thing a to good point reminder. out. Yeah. 
it's still related to a book we've talked about before by Sam Albury. Why does God care who I sleep with? It, mm-hmm. That's the same. It's the same argument that it goes along with um, because it is special because it, it is important. But I would even add every parent knows that because you love your child, you will tell them, no, you will put boundaries. Like mm-hmm. you'll say, no, you can't do that. It's, and it's because I love you. And they might not be happy about it, but it's like, it would be unloving for me to let you just keep doing whatever you want. If it's self-destructive or, you know, going to harm you in the end or just wrong. I mean, so I, again, I feel like it's just a misunderstanding of it's a redefining of love and tolerance that you have to, mm. not only can you not say that this is wrong, you actually have to affirm me in it, which gets even more and more away from what it actually means to love and tolerate someone. Yeah. yeah. And goes back to what we've talked about for months now is a lot of this is, I mean, it may be hard to accept anyway, but will be even harder to accept if you don't study and understand the character of God and have that trust that, that he's a, as you have said, shared the designer and definer mm-hmm. um, in the first place. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers. <laughs>